Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. The Waco History Podcast is sponsored by Brotherwell Brewery on Historic Bridge Street in Waco. Cross the Brazos and Waco Ride hard and I'll make it by dawn Cross the Brazos and Waco I'm safe when I... Welcome to the Waco History Podcast. I'm Mike Hamilton with Rogue Media Network. We're very proud to be the new home of the Waco History Podcast and hope to do Randy proud now that he has moved on. As always, your host, Dr. Stephen Sloan of Baylor's Institute of Oral History is helping us all learn Waco's known and unknown stories. On this episode, Dr. Sloan talks to Larry Grove, former Waco City Manager. Cross the Brazos in Waco, ride hard and I'll make it by dawn. Cross the Brazos in Waco, I'll walk straight in old San Antonio. All right, this is Stephen Sloan, and this is the first solo uh, episode of the Waco History Podcast. And uh, this is, we've got a great guest with us uh, for this episode, and it's Larry Grove, who's whose name is familiar to uh, anybody who's been in Waco for a period of time, but longtime city manager and longtime civil civil servant of uh, folks here in Waco. So, Larry, thank you for being with us uh, today on this episode. Glad to be here. There's a lot of stuff you can talk to, uh, and what's what's great is you can really talk a lot about uh, kind of some really important things, I think, in the, in the development of Waco's recent history that you can talk about. But uh, I know you're a Waco native. Yes. And so uh, if you could uh, start by talking a little bit about uh, maybe growing up in Waco and where you grew up in Waco and and, uh, some of your family background, that'd be fun to start with. Okay. Um, Well, I was born in 52, um, and we lived uh, on uh, Lyle Street, 30th and Lyle, right across from what used to be the Hillcrest Hospital. So... um, I went to school um, down uh, just down the the road uh, up, up 30th Street Elementary School, and uh, had a lot of a lot of fun times around there. Uh, you know, doing some things probably shouldn't have done. We'd go over to the hospital area, and I don't know if you remember, but the uh, the fire escapes back then were like a big old slide. You know, well, so it was really, uh, you know, it predated the super slides. Uh-huh. And uh, we'd go over and play on that till somebody came and, you know, <laughs> ran us off. But anyway, that was kind of fun. But we had a, uh, we had a large family. Um, my, my, my mother was just uh, one of three siblings, but her, her mother um, had about 11 or 12 in hers. And they are all in the Waco area. And uh, my dad... Uh, big family. He had he had uh, eleven siblings, so tremendous amount of cousins mm-hmm. and big family events. And you know, growing up, all I remember is you know we'd have Christmas and we'd have Thanksgiving, we'd have picnics, and we spent a lot of time at Cameron Park. Um, it was just a great place to go. 
you know, in the in the 50s and early 60s, um, we'd go down there and, you know, the parents would all set up picnic areas and they'd sit around talking and, and the kids, we just run. I mean, we just had free reign all over that park. And mm-hmm. we knew, we kind of knew when, when the dinner bell was going to be and we'd wander back. But other than that, we just, we had a great time. So my, my, my growing up in Waco is just really fond memories. So later on, your career is going to reconnect to Cameron Park in yes. several different ways. But I'm interested in this Cameron Park kind of in that period, 50s and 60s. What was the park like? What do you remember from the park? Well, um, you know, a lot of the, it was more natural. And, and the things that were developed, it, it you remember the old work project administration? It mm-hmm. was that, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so uh, a lot of stonework, wherever it was. But, you know, he had the, had the lion's mouth and, and a couple of other reflection pools that we would get into um but mainly just uh, the picnic areas and trails you mm-hmm. know a lot of trails you could go on but very very uh, uh naturalistic setting um i think in my memory and now this has been a long time but there was just maybe just one park road you know it's not much different now but yeah. there's a few more you know circles and stuff it was just a park road and if you went up to one of the points you know you just there'd be some gravel parking lot and you get there and you'd walk over there and do what you wanted to do mm-hmm. it's a beautiful place you know just like it is now yeah yeah well and that that's going to come full circle i mean that i'm thinking late in your career you're going to have the opportunity to make some major improvements so that had to be satisfying this place that was important to you growing up you 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 had a, a big role in making it a much nicer place i think for the it, community it was fun it's fun project to work on for mm-hmm. sure yeah we'll get we'll get back to that later so so a short stint out of waco uh in college station kind of the we'll call those that the dark period <laughs> <laughs> the dark ages <laughs> the yeah. dark ages getting getting an engineering degree yeah. at now did you know you wanted to go in, in, into engineering or? uh yes uh i was i was one of those strange folks that I kind of knew what I wanted to do by the time I was a junior in high school. Um, I always was uh, math and sciences came pretty easy to me. And uh, I had some summer jobs with the Texas uh, Highway Department, what you called it back then, and um, around a lot of engineers. And I just decided this might be a a good thing for me to do. So uh, I visited around. I really didn't have any connection to A&M. You know, a lot of kids go down there because my dad did, because my granddad did, but mm-hmm. I didn't have any connections. I just visited around to the state schools because I needed to go someplace that was fairly cheap and um, the ones that had engineering schools. And and when I walked on campus at A&M, it was just, it just was a good fit for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and I, I think on your drive to A&M, you went down Highway 6 that you'd done some work on with the highway department, right? I did. I did. Uh, I spent a lot of time on Highway 6, both working there and then the, the drives every weekend. You know, when you have girlfriends back in, at home, you, you have to come in on the weekends. That's so. right. Yeah, yeah. well, you, tore, you, you got to memorize that portion of Highway <laughs> 6. Uh, you got to, got to get it down by memory, I bet. Yeah. Um, so there's obviously a lot of reasons. You, you mentioned your girlfriend and your wife, a lot of reasons to to come back to Waco, but your first job is going to be in Dallas, right? That's correct. Yeah. And a, t- talk about the work you were doing there. Well, it was a, a private engineering company uh, named Lockwood Andrews and Noonan. And um, they primarily did what I would call municipal type work. Did a lot of work for cities. Did a lot of developing subdivisions up in that area. 
um, we we had several small clients, um, and and so you know you get started. That's kind of what you do. They assign you to some small projects, small drainage projects, and I had a a little uh, sewer treatment plant that I worked on in in Karen's, Texas, on Highway 31. Um, I've gotten a speeding ticket there a couple <laughs> of times. <I> <laughs> well, I probably did too. Uh, and but I, I didn't stay there long, so I didn't do a good lot of lot of projects. But uh, I did get to do one uh, nice little. It was a new uh, county airport in Limestone County, and it, we put it out, and I mean, it was just a field. And so it was really a, a great learning project to go from the layout with surveying, getting all the information you needed design it it was I mean it wasn't a big hard design it was like a big highway basically had some had some uh, taxiways and a few buildings but uh, it was a fairly simple engineering project but when you work with uh, FAA I mean they you know you do all the things you think you need to do and then they tell you how you did it wrong and you can correct it to their way so that was kind of fun you know learning the my first experience with uh, governmental agencies. Yeah, you were green. I there. mean, that's a big yeah. project for yeah, I was right pretty out young. of school. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, it's interesting that you went into uh, kind of municipal civil engineering sort of work. Did you know that's what you wanted to do? You're, you're going to end up building a career kind of in that area. It, so it was interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, I. I worked uh, when I was at A&M. I worked for Texas Transportation Institute, so we did a lot of, of uh, research projects on highway materials and different things like that. So it seemed to seemed to just kind of stay together. Then that first job, you know, did have some municipal work. I, I really didn't have a I didn't have a career plan. You yeah, know, it just I worked and enjoyed work. And when something came up, if it if it seemed like it was a good thing, then I'd give it a shot. I like new things. I like to learn. And so uh, that kind of brought me back to Waco because uh, the testing company that was doing the airport was here based in Waco called Trinity Engineering Testing. And the manager, I met him a few times, and he said, hey, I've got a, I'm going to have an opening, and would you like to come back home? And, you know, come back home it has a nice sound to it. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I know a lot yeah. of people want to just get out and go, but, you know, it, to me it's always been – where my roots were and and the family and family's real important to me and my wife was um, grew up in Lorena and so she had family and it was uh, we were we, we were really jumped at the chance to come back to Waco mm -hmm. yeah and so that's that's mid 70s I think 76 uh, 70 yeah. yeah yes I graduated in 74 I was there a little less than two years about 76 we came back and and I worked there till 1980. Okay, and that's when you're going to jump to the city. But what what sort of work were you doing there for the testing? Well, we would uh, uh, any kind of material testing in the building construction industry. So from roads, uh, didn't do a lot of utility work, uh, but roads and parking lots and and a lot of building type uh, testing, concrete, steel, almost any kind of any kind of construction material that needed. Uh, some oversight, uh, we did that. Okay. Um, and then that transitions to you starting with the city in 80, right? 1980. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you came on as a city engineer? That's correct. In mm -hmm. 1980? Um, well, since this is the Waco History Podcast, tell <laughs> to, from, a, from a city standpoint, even as a, as a city engineer uh, coming on in 1980, and of course you're not in charge yet, <laughs> you're doing what works assigned to you, 
but you do have a sense of kind of looking at the city from a little bit different angle as you start to kind of assess kind of major needs the city has and and uh, major projects that that kind of are central uh, in what the city needs to develop what were some kind of central things that y'all were working on then? Uh, the two primary um, areas that we worked on because this was the feedback that the citizens were giving the council mm-hmm. one was streets um, at that time we had about um, 450 miles of street and there were probably a uh, hundred miles that um, looked like they'd been in a bombing raid I mean they were just really bad and so citizens were really complaining about that uh, prior to me going there there just wasn't a lot of money spent on streets a little bit of maintenance um, what new streets were built were really through uh, federal uh, projects block block grants model cities and um, it, that's kind of targeted area so you really didn't take care of the entire now the good news was was most of those streets were actually built in the 50s and 60s uh, majority of them mm-hmm. and we used uh, a thing called cement stabilized base which is very very strong and, and lasts a long time and so by the time I got there in the 80s they had kind of gone through their life and they were starting to come apart so streets were huge mm-hmm. um, and I spent a lot of time developing um, plans to how to attack that overall problem lots of presentations to council uh, kind of laying out if we would just start spending some money and spend it the right way. Uh, kind of like a house. You don't paint it. If the board's going to rot, then you have to replace it. So those streets that were still pretty good, we needed to spend money on maintenance mm-hmm. and, and do some overlays and seals and extend that, their lives. <clears throat> While we're working on these others, it just had to be rebuilt. And the rebuilding just is very expensive. And uh, the council... Sometime in the early 80s, maybe 83, 84, uh, decided to really attack streets because that was a number one issue with citizens. And so we instituted a half cent sales tax add on that we had room. And that, at that time, created about $4 million. And that was totally dedicated to capital improvements for streets. So that was, a, that was huge, yeah. you know, compared to spending a couple hundred thousand a year. It was just a, that was a big hit. And, and we really kept that going until up in the, actually I was uh, probably in the zoo at that time, uh, the late 90s, we actually had attacked through different processes all those streets that I identified back in the early 80s. Oh, wow. Okay. So it was nice to see a consistent program. You know, a lot it, t- of, it took that long to cycle Oh, yeah, it took through. that long. Yeah. It took that long because you're trying to build new, you're trying to maintain, they fall off, and it's just a process. But if you do a good job of identifying and, and putting money where it needs to be, um, not just in a specific area, but you look, we were able to actually look at it from an engineering standpoint and not a political standpoint. Mm-hmm. You know, political just doesn't work. I mean, you just have disjointed deals. So <clears throat> we tried to, you know, work on streets that were had continuity, you know, so somebody could actually drive a good way, not just a block here, block there. And that seemed to work. So that was that was a biggie. Uh, the other thing was water. Um, the city was growing slowly. Uh, needs were there, and our system was was um, a little bit strapped, both treatment-wise with the treatment plants and the distribution system. So we 
we spent a lot of money in the in the 80s on uh, water infrastructure which those kind of things set you up for being able to develop mm-hmm. in the future you know yeah. at the time you can't really see it but all of a sudden when you have land available and we have land available still have land available somebody comes in and wants to do something you know their first thing is is what's your water situation mm-hmm. and you could check that off and said no problem yeah you know after, a lot, and a lot of cities can't do that so. after looking at after they're looking at your street grid i think th- these yeah. two things are both Big. central and needs Big. that they would that they'd be concerned about I, that comment you made about uh, approaching kind of street redevelopment from a engineering standpoint rather than a political standpoint is really an interesting one. And, and that, because I could think you could approach it from a political standpoint, what would be driving, what areas you're looking at, what areas get, are getting priority and not getting priority. Mm-hmm. But looking at it from an engineering standpoint and what makes sense from a systemic standpoint of what to treat first and what to treat second in a strategic way, that's really a fundamentally different thing, I yeah, would think. Yeah, it, yeah. but it's a, it, it makes a huge difference mm-hmm. when you look at it from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, the I, I want to bring in the river because the river is, you know, I, 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 we have an oral history that you conducted with Kevin Tankersley a few years ago, and I'll give Kevin a shout out to thanks for doing those mm-hmm. interviews. But one of the things you, you talked about a little bit in that was kind of the state of the river when you came on uh, as a city engineer. And can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Um, you know, cities were developed around rivers. I mean, that's just, you look at any big city, there's a river going through it somewhere, some, some water body, because it was necessary uh, for a lot of reasons, transportation, water use, whatever. And uh, Waco was no different. But then through, uh, through time, probably, you know, in the 70s, uh, Waco kind of turned its back on the river. In fact, it almost became a dumping ground. And there was a lot of development along the river that wasn't good. It just, just, just wasn't good. Um, and I always felt like that, that the river was, had to be the heart of the city. You know, we don't turn our backs on it. And, and early on, uh, luckily, uh, I mean, I didn't come in and change the idea that we need to do something. There were some other people mm-hmm. uh, in, the, in the community, in the city structure, thinking about how can we maximize the river? What can we do? And so early 80s, we started doing things. Uh, probably the first that, that I worked on was uh, Indian Springs Park. Uh, before we developed that, and city owns quite a bit of land along the riverbank, so mm-hmm. we, we can, you know, we, when, you, when you think about Cameron Park and then down to 35, and then Baylor takes over pretty much on, on down. The east side, we had some on the east side too. Uh, we have some facilities over there. And so uh, in a lot of ways, we could kind of help facilitate development along the river, but we needed to do some cleanup. And that park was really a good start. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also worked on the suspension bridge. Suspension bridge had gotten kind of bad. The, the bricks underneath the support, the towers, uh, water was coming through it. Um, I don't know if you want to hear all this, but there was yeah, one yeah. interesting little thing yeah. from a historical standpoint. The suspension bridge, you know, it was built back in 1870 or mm-hmm. so. And um, I can't remember when traffic was taken off, probably in the 50s. 
It was later than you would think. That it still had 60s. road traffic. I think it was late sixties. Late sixties. So um, by now it was off, but uh, I could tell that that structure was deteriorating. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the reasons was because from the dump and everything, dirt had gotten down and actually covered up the bottom, and the the city is sitting on some Austin chalk. Mm-hmm. which is kind of hard, and then there's generally a layer of gravel above that, and then goes up top. So, well, any water runs through that gravel layer and goes into the river, and that's one reason it was said, called Indian Springs because there were some springs along there. Mm-hmm. The, the The bridge was built with a uh, – the people that built it, I mean, it, it's interesting how smart people are that develop that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. They knew they had that water problem. So they put in like a French drain up stream from the tower that was a uh, an archway a brick archway that went along it like this along like a parallel to the bridge and then turned and went across behind the tower mm-hmm. that had all been covered up and so water coming in wasn't able to get out like it should have been and it was going through the tower okay so we found that thing and uh, i went down one day after after work and had some old sharks and stuff and once we got it enough where I could crawl in it I, I got on my belly and I crawled in because I wanted to see where it went and it got down to the end and then it I could see it turned and I could see the bricks all had uh, slits in them you know they kept the bricks apart so water could come in we got that cleaned out now if you walk down there you can see that little archway and you see the water running out and yeah. it runs constant well that was what's coming to the tower once we did that and opened that up the water through the tower just dried up so, so I, you're talking about along the river walk there where you see the slotted, right? that area with the slotted, mm-hmm. that's the water coming down through. Coming down through there. Okay. And is that spring, that spring-fed water? That's spring-fed water. Okay. Yeah. 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 It could be some, you know, water lines that leak every once in a while too. But yeah, sure. <laughs> but, but it's spring-fed. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a neat deal. Anyway, so that was kind of a start of cleaning that up. Mm-hmm. And then we started making plans and, and I was part of many, many meetings at time talking about what could we do and you know we developed some plans and was able to uh, get some money to build the first section of the river walk because you know if you want people to enjoy the river they have to have access to it so it was our goal to build a continuous loop and um, I think there's still a couple of sections left but it's getting close we've been we've been pretty consistent on on building that, and I hope they continue doing that. I mean, you can get from the stadium down to to the. Uh, I mean, you can get down through most of it. Most you of really it, yeah. can. Yeah. yeah. Um, that that development uh, down along the river. You, you mentioned earlier that you felt like the the you know the community had kind of turned its back on the river. Was it because of the flooding, the flooding threat, you think, that led to not wanting to develop down there? Or no. Why, I, why did Waco develop this relationship with the river that was different? I, I think, um, you know, downtown was in decline. Yeah. Uh, for a lot of different reasons. And and um, developers were just looking out at that great land to the west, and you just started getting that urban sprawl and the— and all the businesses that used to be down, I used to go downtown when I was a kid. That's where mm-hmm. we shopped. Yeah. Well, they all moved out to these malls that were being built. You know, that was the new thing. That's what everybody was doing. And so you just started going out there. Um, obviously, there was a tremendous amount of residential development happening. And, you know, retailers like to go where 
where rooftops are. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think it, it was a combination of things. Yeah. And in the meantime, it just kind of left go. And, and you know, the uh, really the city community and the city fathers that decided to try to build that constant level lake, mm-hmm. uh, that was – that was a very smart thing. Yeah. Fortunately, it didn't work good for a long time, but that was really kind of the start of at least giving people an opportunity. If you're going to develop, you gotta, you've got to be able to have confidence that that lake level is going to be pretty much the same. Obviously, heavy rain events, it's going to go up, but for the most part, it, it'll be there. And, and with the flows that come in without some kind of a dam, you know, it's just low and up and low and up, and it just was pretty difficult to attract people to develop. Yeah, I want to talk about that because some folks listening may be new to Waco and may not realize it's Lake Brazos, <laughs> Lake Brazos. right there. Yeah, <laughs> and that's because there's a there's a low water dam uh, just just to the south of LaSalle, the bridge over over LaSalle, and that the original version of that it's a different dam was a it was a 1970 bond issue right that's correct that, that, but but it there were problems so problems. you that, can tell me what the problems were okay well, before yeah. i get to those problems yeah. that that 1970 bond issue was huge if you go back and look at what the city did with that money uh, from that dam convention center um just a lot of a, a lot of uh, huge um the highway system uh, was improved, so they spent their money well, mm-hmm. and and they spent some money on the on a dam uh, design that just didn't work. Works a lot, and they're still the same. It's, it's called a drum gate, where the the theory is is this, these drums are go down into a cavity where they can fall down when there's really high water because you got to have volume for the water to pass so it doesn't come up and you you've seen pictures of water flooding all east waco Mm -hmm. even across on the west side too just water was everywhere so you got to be able to get rid of the water um and so these gates would be up to raise the lake to about an elevation of 376 i believe at that time um and then when the heavy events come just the pressure of the water would force the gates down and let it pass and then it's supposed to float back up Mm -hmm. had some seals on it you could actually pump air underneath, and that's what lifted it. Okay. The problem is the seals have to be good. Uh, I mean, and and um, with the kind of stuff that comes down the Brazos, the debris and everything, it just was difficult to keep those seals really against a uh, a drum that was you know shaped like a half circle. I see. Uh, and it was pinned here, and so it goes up and down. Mm-hmm. And we did. I'm thinking we. Uh, it was a little bit before my time, but I wrestled with it too. Yeah. When I first got there, uh, just trying. We we had air compressors. You can't imagine the kind of stuff we'd be down there trying to blow those things up. Because what happened is they would go down in a big event, and you couldn't get them back up. You just and you know we would actually attach and put chains on them and pull them up with bulldog. I mean you can't imagine. It was just a it was a real bear. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's. Down in that area, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, it was tough, and it, it wasn't going to get any better. Yeah. We replaced. I had a – we did a seal project to replace it and try to make – but it still fails. So at that point, um, it was decided we just need to go to a different type arrangement. Yeah, and so before this, uh, folks who had been around Waco would know the river would get pretty low. 
at, at times coming through town. Absolutely. As far as what the so you, you would have a lot of river that's that's not river right, right. now. And you know, yeah. and, and the bad part about it, if you just have a natural stream that goes up and down, you have vegetation, and it doesn't look that bad mm-hmm. when it's up. You know, it covers it up, but when it goes down, our problem was once we kept it up a while, everything died. So when the when the ga- the gates went down, then it just looked like a, a mud hole. And so it wasn't real attractive. It, you know, it's hard to get somebody to invest money, you know, beside a mud hole. So, yeah. so we, we had to do something. Yeah. So ultimately, and this, this is skipping ahead a bit, ultimately what was the fix for that? Well, the first, we're on our third generation. Yeah. Of the, dam. the second yeah. generation, 84, 85, um, we, we hired a firm actually from Chicago that were just worldwide renowned engineers for dams mm-hmm. they came in and decided they could take those keep the keep the front of the drum gates and then actuate them with hydraulics so put big hydraulic rams um, i mean these things were huge the the ram prop was probably about six inches uh, they were about uh, 14 feet long with housing so they could you know could shoot up we put 12 of them on each side and um you know they they said it would work and you know we spent some money on it and um i'm not a damn engineer but <laughs> well somebody may think that <laughs> maybe i was a damn city manager but but anyway um uh you know it just didn't feel right to me yeah you know you learn things through your career i was still relatively a young mm-hmm. engineer and i and i worked with them um so i take some of the blame because I felt there was going to be some problems. It seems uh, like the amount of pressure, is it just the amount of pressure that? No, pressure, uh, we could actually, the way it was designed, uh, 10 of the 12, you could have two cylinders go out and it'll still raise the okay. gates. Our problem was, is is twofold. One is debris, mm-hmm. the same debris coming down. Yeah, still an issue with that. And yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, and it, it would go in there and it would get down, because there was a big cavity down in there. You know, the gate still had to drop down, the cylinders had to drop down. And, you know, stuff would get in there, get wedged, you know, hurt the cylinders. But the biggest thing was corrosion. Mm. Um, you know, that's a, uh, the Brazos has, you know, some of the, the salt fork of the brazos comes in there so the salt content's pretty high mm-hmm. it's an extremely corrosive environment and we started having corrosion almost immediately mm. along with the debris so we started having problems started having leaks you know and, and you know 100 years ago people may have not cared about somebody dumping some hydraulic fluid in a in a river because they yeah. dumped everything else but you don't do that yeah. i mean that's just so uh, we really had some issues uh, trying to fix that thing and and uh, i spent a lot of time down there along with a lot of other we had a lot of a lot of city people going down there trying to work on it and crews and and it just we you know get it up and fix this and we try to fix that and it became apparent that uh, long term uh, that just wasn't going to work so mm-hmm. we we need to do something different and you know it's uh that's what we did yeah so when was the third generation or the third Mm. Sorry, uh, I'm testing your memory there. Uh, that's jumping ahead quite a bit. Yeah, but, that yeah. was 2004 or five, maybe. Okay. Uh, it, it was in 2000-something. So we uh, hired another group engineer. We wanted something that was simple. 
but we pass water enough so that the the, the uh, lake level would stay fairly constant, except for big events. Mm-hmm. Because you couldn't, you can't design enough for big events. Yeah. Even even with the drum or the hydraulics, when they went down, you still only had a certain space for the water to physically go through. Uh, so if if you do something with a with a concrete weir, simple. You know, no on it. There's no maintenance. Obviously, we still have the debris issue, but you can't get enough length because when you start thinking about it, the water's going over uh, when it's low flow, maybe two, three inches. Mm-hmm. As the flow gets more, if you have a contained area, it's just the the height's just gonna go up. Yeah. So you have to figure out somehow to increase the surface area for the water to go over. Mm-hmm. So what we did, we used a, a call a notch method or that's probably another word now i can't remember what it is but basically if you go down there it's a zigzag yep a little zigzag formation yeah such that if you pull that zigzag out you'd have the length you needed so the water is not just falling over in a in a perpendicular position next to the river flow mm-hmm. it's actually falling over all those notches and that gains the surface area you need so that you can control uh, moderately increase of water. Uh, so you, you have maybe a, you know, a three to four inch uh, variation depending on the normal flows that mm-hmm. we get. And then once, and that, that works as long as the tailwater doesn't come up. I see. If the, if the river's running so much that it's actually just filling the channel and the tailwater comes up, then all of a sudden, the the dam is just just kind of a little bit of an instruction mm-hmm. instruction in there, and the, it's going to rise. Mm-hmm. And that's why in, in these real flooded events we've had, you've seen the water come up, get over the river walk, and and up. Yeah, because it just that's at that point if you go down there, you can't see the dam. the The water level is constant going down down the river, just like it has always done. Yeah, yeah. but it works good for you know ninety percent of the time. Mm-hmm. The only yeah. problem we have now is the the debris comes yeah. down. You know, you go through these droughts and all these trees that are along the river, they die, even though the river's there. And then the first good rain you get, they just fall over. <laughs> so you have these huge trees floating down the river, and uh, they get caught. Well, you'll hear a helicopter every now and then uh, yeah. down there clearing the clearing. debris off yeah. the dam. Yeah. 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 And we did, a, we did a lot of testing uh, with that mm-hmm. in, in some hydraulic places where they can you know build tenth models and stuff and put debris in it and 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 generally the the test always showed is as a water rise then the debris would just the old trees and stuff should float over if you just have a branch or even a big tree it's fine the root balls when these trees fall over with root balls that's what gets caught i see and once it gets caught then it's you know, like the old domino effect, it, they just start building back, mm-hmm. and that's when we really have the problem. Yeah, yeah. But we still, even with that, I mean, we're so far ahead, and, you know, very seldom do you drive by there that the level's not pretty much where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. So that was success. Yeah, well, and it, it changed. I mean, just the successful implementation changed the whole look of the city. Yep. I mean, it really did. Yeah. Uh, because as you said, that. It, the, the river ought to be the center of the city. It is. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, you, we start picking up some pretty neat things. I mean, obviously, Baylor has done a tremendous amount of development. 
mm-hmm. along the river. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I don't think most people in the community really appreciate the impact that Baylor's made. And that's coming from an old Aggie, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but they, you know, the, 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 the improvements that really face the river mm-hmm. and use the river as a brack dock all along the west side and then uh, the stadium, just huge. If the river wasn't pretty well constant, I'm I'm not sure that any of that development may have occurred. Yeah, so. and, and I think it, and I think it's fueled other developments because it because I've thought about that before. Just capital investment along the river has just been a challenge for mm-hmm. for a long time for yeah. the city. Uh, people putting money into places by the river. Uh, well, I want to back up because okay. we got got ahead of ourselves okay. a, a little bit there, and so. Uh, you were talking about uh, water distribution in the city, working on that, kind of building an infrastructure that was a little bit outdated and improving it, working on streets and getting those uh, improved as well. You, you were also uh, working on the old zoo, uh, which this is going to lead into uh, into another part of your career. But uh, I don't know on the podcast if we've talked about the old zoo uh, yet. F- folks are familiar with the Cameron Park Zoo, but... I think it was the Central Texas Zoo- Zoological Park uh, was the original something like r- original yeah. name for it. Yeah. But tell tell us, folks that, that don't know what I'm talking about, what that was. Well, yeah. uh, it was located out near the airport, and uh, it actually was a private zoo. Started out, there was a few guys, um, a guy named Porterfield, and a few others that were you know, kind of animal enthusiasts, and they started collecting, and all of a sudden they had enough to where they kind of opened up, and I think the city at that time realized that was probably a good thing, and I don't know, I'm not really sure, because this was way before my time, mm-hmm. I'm talking 50s and 60s. Yeah, I think it was um, the 60, 1960 when it actually opened out there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, as a kid, you know, that's another place we'd go, um, but it was a typical zoo design of the time. Um, 1900s on, um, you know, you'd you'd build a chain link enclosure, put an animal in, generally not much of a theme, you know, and so the visitors would just walk along and see these animals, a lot of times maybe on a total concrete. Um, not really good for the animals, but um, that's just what, that's what was in vogue, that's what you did, and, and, uh, and it was got pretty big. And, and had a fairly good attendance. Um, but the people that were involved in it knew we need to do something different. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to get away from this style. We need to go natural habitat. It needs to be better for the animals. The, the visitor experience needs to be a whole lot better. And so uh, they started working towards that goal and, and had, a, had a, a lot of pretty, pretty good folks working on it, uh, which is that's what it takes. I mean, it just anything gets done, you can always go back to some drivers that uh, either have the resources or have the know-how or the connections and don't mind being defeated a few times Mm -hmm. (laughs) they just keep working and working Um, and so um, city took it over Uh, I'm not sure what date that was but um, so it was a city facility and and um, they tried a city bond issue uh, to build a new zoo and it failed kept working on it and uh, got the county to agree to do a countywide bond issue uh, so the the cost would be spread out more and it passed uh, that was in 
87 maybe mm-hmm. 88 um and and at that time by then i had had some uh involvement with the zoo because you know zoos have a lot of water and sewer issues drainage issues and so from an engineering standpoint i'd go out and try to try to help what i could uh that, that would, had to be a big issue with the yeah, zoo. yeah the yeah. Uh, you know the the, the sewer Sewage, system was old yeah. and uh, you know zoos put out a lot of waste yes you know elephants you can just imagine but yeah. anyway um so i you know i got to know most of the zoo folks then and uh and so when uh when the bond issue passed we hired a zoo design firm um out of new orleans um to design it uh, and we we went to cameron park down you know, where it is now if you, you see it and that was a that was an area that cameron of cameron park that really wasn't being utilized um and so uh, we have about 45 50 acres uh carved out um and i was lucky enough to work with the design firm and kind of do- did all the construction administration did this design firm do the New Orleans Zoo? Did they work on the? They worked on uh, some of the. They, they worked on a lot. Okay. Uh, but it, it, you know, they, they were, they were well recommended. Yeah. And uh, I think they did a did us a good job getting started. Uh, we just had a, a limited amount of money, mm-hmm. about ten million dollars, which sounds like a lot, but when you start thinking about you know starting from scratch. Yeah. And so it was kind of a challenge to, to build because you got to get the infrastructure in for future. Mm-hmm. And so we started out with not a lot of animals. Um, and so that's always been the kind of the goal from then, just keep increasing. But it was just adding uh, habitat and new mm-hmm. animals. And, of course, that's, I guess, to build visitorship, you need that anyway. Yeah. you got to have new attractions. And we'll we'll sure. talk more about the zoo okay. later because uh, uh, earlier you were talking about, uh, you said I was in the zoo by that point, which is, you, you know, if you, if you take that out of context. Yeah. <laughs> I, I knew what you meant yeah. when you said that. But one thing I want to talk about from your city engineer days is the Austin Avenue walking mall. And we we, we talked a little bit about kind of Waco struggling during this period. I, I'm thinking that's why, you know, the bond issue is big. That's why even this half cent sales tax increase is big because generating revenue for improvements was a little bit of a challenge during this period of Waco because you've got suburban areas it seems like that are growing Mm -hmm. but you're challenging to continue to build your tax base and things like that and Waco had to be a challenge but one attempt to kind of revitalize downtown we've talked about the tornado on the podcast we've talked a little bit about urban renewal on the podcast and you know what had happened to downtown Uh, there was this attempt to kind of revive some of the older businesses and do a a, uh, I think of a model cities funded or it, i believe so uh, did a pedestrian mall pedestrian mall okay so yeah. tell us about the pedestrian mall well i wasn't around then in fact it was actually done when i was um uh, down at a&m okay early, early 70s so i wasn't part of that in fact i wasn't even living here then so i really didn't have any memory of mm-hmm. i don't have any memory of drilling but my understanding is it that businesses were closing people were leaving wanted to track them down, and so some cities had used pedestrian malls as a way to attract people back and keep the businesses there. And so there was a lot of money spent, you know, taking Austin Avenue, you know, out, which was the main main street, really. 
Um, that was the drag. That I was think. the drag. Yeah, yeah I, I did the drag a lot when I was in high school. But anyway, <laughs> um, uh, it just didn't work, uh, it, and it may have had it been done earlier when it was still vibrant, mm-hmm. you know, but it, it's not a fix. It turned out to be not a fix. At the time, everybody was doing it. It looked like it may be a good thing. So we spent a lot of federal money, the city did, putting that in, and uh, businesses keep le- kept leaving. People didn't like, you know, Waco's still a town where you want to drive up close and park and not have to walk very far. Mm-hmm. Um, Another story I'll tell you sometime about we did a Baylor parking study <laughs> part of that, and that was kind of interesting how how students move. But you know, particularly when you want to kind of move, that's you don't want to change the way Baylor looked on the interior, uh-huh. move things out. You know. Yeah, well, there there's that tradition. We're on campus recording, and there's that kind of long history of streets closing on right. campus. On campus, yeah. And, yeah. and that means the students have to walk further and further, and mm-hmm. they they'll you know they really like those close. Anyway, yeah, people like that, and that's just train, and and, and you know, it's just a culture. Um, I, it's changing now. People are, I think, you know, it's this whole concept of walking, riding bicycles, and you know, it's just the the culture is changing. So that probably might not have been a problem now. Mm-hmm. But anyway, they built it, and uh, people quit coming down even more, and businesses kept leaving. And when I started in 1980, I, I tell this story because it's so much different now. I would. Uh, I would. I worked at City Hall. Um, there was nothing going on. I mean, all the area around City Hall was just dead. Um, empty buildings, empty warehouses. The pedestrian mall was there. Nobody using it. I, if I worked late, um, I'd walk out to get in my car. And I would be the only derelict around. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, there wasn't a car. I couldn't see a car for blocks. It was just dead. And now, with the transformation, you can't find a parking spot. Yeah. That's, that's, to me, that's the biggest contrast that people now that haven't, didn't see it back then don't realize how much has changed. Yeah. I can. So, anyway, it's, it's just different. But that's the way it was. And um, I'm, I'm thinking in the mid-'80s, um, there was an effort really led by the community, uh, led by the this remaining is, the ownership of even, you know, vacant buildings. They wanted that mall gone and turn it back in. And, and luckily we were able to uh, – there was an assessment. I mean, they actually stepped up the plate and paid part mm. of the cost. The city paid most of it, but they paid part of the cost. And we went back in and took that out, turned it back into a driving with on-street parking, uh, improved the sidewalks, and put in street trees, and and it really turned out to I thought a, a really nice design. No, oh, it's it's the main street again. I mean, it, so just because folks uh, to visualize it, I thought was it fourth? Did it, c- it come down to it, to it, Alico Building? It went uh, the 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 pedestrian mall went from fourth to ninth. Okay, fourth to ninth. So that's that's kind of down to the Alico building, Alico Center, Center. Uh-huh. which was there. I don't know if the Alico Center was still there with the convention center right. attached to it and all that. And then down past uh, Hippodrome, kind of up that way. Yes. Okay. 
Okay. Yeah. So a pretty pretty big stretch. It's, yeah, it was a it's a it's a big project. Yeah. To yeah. to revert it back. So are you the guy that officially killed the Austin Avenue? <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I uh, I worked on it. <laughs> uh, there were other people that were you know made make those made those decisions. Yeah. I just uh, at that time you know I just. Uh, what what the city wanted to do, I tried to do my best to get it done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it needed to be it needed to be done. It did. Um, well, I want to go back and talk a, a little bit about uh, the zoo story a, a little bit more because uh, uh, you know this this project where you're out, but you're from a city engineer standpoint, you're becoming familiar with the operation of the zoo, and and as the city takes over the zoo, it it's becoming a little bit more of an area of attention from the city, obviously. Yes. Bond issue passes. Now it's it's something that's going to become an entity uh, for the city. Um, were you involved in this this process of this process of design and construction? How much were you involved in kind of that planning process? Uh, I was pretty much the lead of working with we had a we had uh, obviously zoo staff that was big part of working mm. with the design firm we had a uh, zoo society um, that were really involved we formed a zoo commission that had county people city people and some um, um, citizens mm-hmm. um, so all that group we're working, and, and obviously the city was doing its thing too, and mm-hmm. so I was working for them. But anyway, I was working with all those groups. Okay. Uh, trying to coordinate, getting design done, uh, get it where it was in the money, making those decisions. You know, all those groups were making decisions. About, okay, what do you do first? Came up with the design, and we bid it. Um, then I hired a, a construction inspector that had, had familiarity with um, zoos. Um, came in and, and kind of day-to-day construction, and I just checked with him, you know, report back to all those groups that things were going great. Mm-hmm. And we got it built and opened in uh, 1993. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this so, is a, a an area of Cameron Park. What was there? There was a pond there, I think. It's ball you know, fields there was something. no ball fields. Yeah. Uh, there was used to be at one time a pool, sun pool. Um, so it was kind of open area. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's got it's got a little bit of terrain changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, has some nice trees. Uh, we went in and, and did a lot of rock work, um, which is it was always gratifying me when I was down there and somebody come in, you know, after we opened, and man, I've been here all my life. I don't remember that being there. I mean, thinking it was real, you know. If you get people to do that, then that's kind of fun. <laughs> See that. But. It 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 was the least developed area of the park, though. Yes. Yeah. I mean, if I, if I think of the overall park. So, so you had you had your money you had you had amount of money you could do use you had an area that you could that you could select were there uh, were did different uh, people put in design uh, proposals for the the zoo itself well we went uh, did what's called a request for proposals mm-hmm. and and got responses and then we selected this firm okay out of, out of New Orleans okay mm-hmm. um, Okay, so uh, tell me, 93, zoo is done, you open the doors, 
uh, now you got to run. Now our zoo has to be run and managed. <laughs> and it's a lot more uh, of a complex enterprise than it was uh, when it was out at the uh, out at the old out at the airport, uh, the old. And so uh, getting someone to run the zoo. Well, we actually and, had someone. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah, uh, Tim Jones uh, was a. I don't know how he was out at the old zoo for a long time. Okay. Uh, well-respected um, zoo guy. Okay. Um, and a lot of staff, you know, that was there just moved over, and mm-hmm. then they hired uh, p- hired a lot of uh, staff, uh, probably not as much animal folks as as um, uh, horticulturalist type. Yeah. Because now we had all this vegetation that needed to be taken care of, not only inside the exhibits but also outside because this, you know, that was a big thing. You just – you plant a lot of stuff. Of course, animals tear it all up inside. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's really hard to keep it. But so, so you had a lot of extra people, and um, uh, Tim decided um, about I can't remember six months um, or so after it opened that it was time he wanted to retire, mm-hmm. and so he retired. And so they, the zoo society and zoo commission. I'm I'm not sure who all worked together. Probably. Um, administration at the city um you know worked together and tried to hire somebody and uh, they interviewed a lot of folks brought a lot of folks in um they just couldn't couldn't find the right fit um i found later in my time that zoo directors are are prima donnas (laughs) there's uh there's not that many are they worse than city managers uh probably not (laughs) 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 but uh you know, there's there's a, a small, really, when you think about it, across the United States, there's not that many accredited zoos. There's mm-hmm. a lot of animal holding places, but accredited zoos, so it's a kind of a select pool mm-hmm. of people to pull from. So you're either trying to hire somebody from maybe a smaller zoo that would like to grow a little bit with a new one, or you're trying to hire maybe an assistant director or somebody in that thing. And they just had a really hard time. They couldn't, mm-hmm. couldn't find anybody. So I'm not sure who came up with the idea, but uh, they came and asked me if I'd be interested. Because by then, you know, I had spent a lot of time with the staff, uh, Zoo Commission, Zoo Society. And I was really kind of taken back because I'm just no engineer. What, you know, what, why would I want to do that? That was my first thought. And I kind of mulled on it for several months. And... Uh, Max Robertson, who was a parks director at the time, and the zoo was under in his deal, came and asked me, if, sure, if I wouldn't do it. And by then, I kind of had warmed up to the idea and thought it would be a challenge. I knew we'd still be building things, so, you know, I'd still be, that part of my life could still be utilized. I loved animals, and um, I really enjoyed working with those different groups and learning them. And I decided it would be a, be a good move, so I, I accepted it. I started in 95. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's just a completely, I mean, I'm trying to think of parallel. I guess there is parallel in that you're building things at that point. And so you're kind of your engineering Mm -hmm. sort of thinking of ways that way is similar, but 90% of the job is, I mean, so would be learning on the job, I would think for you. It it was. uh, Now the good news is we had a good staff. Yeah. I didn't really have to worry about from the professional standpoint of taking care of the animals. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I, I was just more managing people. Yeah. 
and I'd done that. Yeah. So, you know, just different, little, little different style of people. Um, probably the biggest change really was, and, I, and I'd already, you know, I had experience working with council, so, and the commission and the zoo society, but uh, working with a, a vast, a, a larger interest group, because there really is a lot of interest, and there was a lot, of, still a lot of interest, but a lot of interest in the zoo, and trying to kind of listen to see what they wanted to see next and what we might do and and um, work that out. And then uh, fundraising. That was a big, I, I'd never done fundraising before. Mm-hmm. And so I had to kind of learn the ins and outs of how to do that. And how'd that go, fundraising? You know, uh, it was, it's tough anytime. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody's out wanting to, you know, so you just got to, you got to figure out interest of people and try to match you know their interest with maybe something you might need obviously you got to figure out who's got resources who doesn't yeah who's willing to share resources mm-hmm. and luckily Waco's a pretty generous town yeah and uh so we uh we were able to do several projects when i was there and i also think you're also competing against very established entities that have old relationships with people that that give Yes. You know, you got Baylor here. Right. You, you've got other entities that you're competing against. Right. To, but to what's good about guys. that is, is a lot of the people that give to Baylor or gave to Baylor, they were interest. They had interest in the zoo too. Mm-hmm. And of course, they had to share their stuff. But um, it it's just, you know, people here that that have resources and are willing to share. Uh, I've just always admired. Mm-hmm. Well, it it's a wonderful zoo. I mean, I, I think it's it's turned into a great project that that it has had to have exceeded what y'all thought it would be. Just because I I talk to people from out of town now, and uh-huh. they talk about the great zoo we have in Waco. But what were some projects from those years that you're especially proud of? In uh, my time, yeah, in your time, uh, yeah. probably the lion exhibit, mm-hmm. um, and the herpetarium. That was the that was the two that two primary large projects that I worked on while I was there, while I was zoo director. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, and those were add those were added after the initial, so those aren't there in 93. No, th- those were add-ons. Um, we also built a playground. That was actually one of my first projects. Um, I just, you know, it wasn't animals. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's some folks that, man, we need animals. Yeah. We need, things to hold people there and, and, and nothing better to hold people there is build a playground and the kids are out there playing mom and dad sitting there and the longer they sit you know then they're gonna have to get something to drink or get something to eat mm-hmm. and it's just it's all it's all a matter of capturing time mm-hmm. and so that was kind of a fun project yeah right across from the turtles uh, right yeah and uh, there's restrooms there and kind of a shady spot there i think uh i, I know that well from taking my kids yeah yeah <laughs> over there uh, so you, you, I can hear from the way you talked about it, you came to enjoy uh, being a zoo uh, director. I did. Yeah, I really did. It was, uh, you know, I, I, you know, some. It's, I enjoyed. I, I've been fortunate enough. I've enjoyed every job that I did, city and before the city. Um, enjoyed the engineering and, but the, I guess the thing about the zoo, that's different from every other thing is. When people come there it's a happy place, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and it's just, and it's just fun seeing people enjoy themselves Yeah, well, and, and the wonder of animals. 
that's the that's the other thing. It's just uh, just amazing watching kids and adults, you know, look at one of those animals and and it's just uh, that they they, they all, and, and the way you want to design it so that you really make them feel like they're part of the environment. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not these chain link fences. There's not these huge barriers. You, know, you have to in some cases, but most of the time, using different systems, moats and uh, fine wire stuff. It just you know you're right there with them. Yeah, and it, and it's kind of neat. When it's this immersive environment that you, right. that they didn't have out at the old right. uh, airport. Right. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned the animals, and I know day to day you're not working with the animals, but are there some memories you have of uh, kind of uh, interacting with the animals that were special to you? Probably two. Uh, two stand out in my memory. Um, and one of them is sad. Um, we had an elephant die. And she was getting, you know, she was just getting where she couldn't hardly stand up. And, you know, we'd go get called at night and go and lift her. We had a harness and lift her up so she'd get up so she didn't put pressure on her lungs. And um, we did that for a long time. And and she finally just gave out. Mm. And uh, just looking in her eyes, it's just like, it's almost she just conveyed it, it's time. Mm. And um, it stands out so much because I, mean, I still get a little emotional about it. Mm-hmm. Watching the people that worked with her so much i mean you lost a family member mm-hmm. it, it's just it, it it's a really it was just a real um emotional time and interesting watching how close those keepers and supervisors get to various animals so that that just stands out now that's not a real happy thing yeah no but it to me it uh it was a great representation of the commitment that zoo people have to the animals they care for. Yeah. The second is watching a, a giraffe birth. This unbelievable. I mean, I you know I grew up. My dad had cattle, and you know, I, dogs and cats, and I've seen so many births of different kind of animals. But giraffes are just different. Yeah. Um, they give birth standing up, and you see this, you know, this actually an animal that comes out, and she or he is already five feet tall. I mean, they're huge. And they come out and hit the ground, and immediately those old little wobbly-looking legs—they, you know—they're just thrashing around trying to stand up, because in the wild, you know, they got to be up and moving pretty quick, or or they're bait for somebody, Mm -hmm. lions or hyenas or whatever. So they got to get going. And the neatest thing is watching the the mother once the baby stands up, she'll reach back there and knock it down. So it'll stand up again, so it knows how to how to do it, and mm-hmm. and then they're up, and it's just and they're so big, it's just remarkable. Yeah, that was that was a fun experience. That's amazing. I, I mean, I, I've seen giraffes in the wild. I've been fascinated by how they'll drink from a stream, you know. So I can't <laughs> imagine, you know, giving birth. Yeah. What that sort of experience must be like to see something like that. You know, I think about projects you've worked on, you know, civil community projects. And you, you've done a lot that's contributed to the kind of the well-being of the city, but with something like that, you get to see people enjoy it, yes. I mean, in a way that you don't normally uh, get to do in your job. So that had to be rewarding. It's fun. Mm-hmm. 
and for your kids to come to work, come see dad at work, that was kind of fun too. Yeah, that's a little it was a little more interesting than coming and looking at engineering drawings. <laughs> Join us next time on the Waco History Podcast for the second half of this interview with Larry Grove. Thanks for listening to the Waco History Podcast. Like what you heard? Subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes so we can reach more listeners. You can find show notes and info on every episode at wacohistorypodcast.com and more info on Waco's past at wacohistory.org. Our theme music, used with permission, is Cross the Brazos at Waco, performed by the late Billy Walker. For more info on Billy's music, go to billywalker.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. I'm safe when I reach San This has been Rogue Media Network Podcast.